All right, grab your Bibles and get yourself to Luke chapter 16. And then also get yourself to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So two points of interest tonight that we're going to take a look at here in just a moment. And I'm going to give you a little bit of space to find those two places. It's amazing the work that we're seeing God do amongst our group. And the thing is, is there's more work to be done. There are more lives to be changed. There is more faith to be deepened. And so tonight, I think God is just going to bring us into a continuation of the work that he's been doing in our lives over the past few weeks. And so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the text. Luke chapter 16, we're going to start there. Verse 19, God's word reads, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. This is Jesus speaking to just a small crowd of people. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if... Someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now I'm going to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now. Now is the day of salvation. I need you to help me with my title tonight, so turn to somebody beside you and tell them, Today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day for what? Today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for some of you who haven't yet to turn to Jesus. Because if there's one thing we don't want to get caught lacking in, it's salvation. The washing, the cleansing, the renewing of our souls that only comes through faith in Jesus. So I'm just going to tell you all up front, we are in full gospel proclamation mode tonight. So you saints in the room, don't check out on me. I need a couple of favors from you as well tonight as we work our way through this gospel message. One, I need you to be responsible in prayer all throughout the entirety of this night. 
Each and every one of you probably knows somebody, whether they're in this room or not, that needs to know the love and grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. So I need you to be responsible in prayer in these moments, praying that God would draw souls unto himself. And then secondly, I need you to become revived in burden. Revived in your burden for those who are around you on a daily basis that you know are lost and perishing in darkness without Christ. Outside of there, I'm excited for these next few moments because I fully believe some of you are going to have your lives be eternally changed tonight. Today is the day. Everybody say it. Today is the day. Today is the day. Jesus wants to bring you life. Jesus wants to bring you forgiveness. Jesus wants to bring you grace and mercy and love and joy and peace. And my prayer for some of you tonight is that you will finally just receive it. So for the next few moments, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just imagine it's just you and it's just Jesus and nobody else. You and Jesus in this room together. That's the scene as Jesus tells us the count of a rich man and another man named Lazarus. There's just a few people around when Jesus begins to illustrate the importance of trusting in him. And in so doing, in the process of this story, he highlights a couple of truths that pertain to salvation. And I want to share them with you. The first one is this, is that salvation is unlimited in its availability. Salvation is unlimited in its availability. Right out of the gates, we can't help but notice the vast disparity between the rich man's life and Lazarus' life. When we get a look at the rich man and what his life looked like, what it consisted of, we're told that this man had the best clothes. It, it says that he was dressed in, in fine linen and in purple, almost the color of royalty. It was a sign of being well off, of being rich. And not only that, man, he had the gourmet foods. It said he feasted sumptuously. This guy, he wasn't going to the local Jerusalem Walmart and getting the great value stuff like he was like at the Jerusalem Publix. Like, that's where he got his groceries from. Like, he got the top shelf stuff. He got the gourmet fruits. He got the gourmet veggies. He even went over to, like, the sushi section and, and picked out a few things. Like, this guy had the gourmet stuff. He suffered no lack. I would imagine he was probably a, a pretty handsome guy. I would imagine he probably had some good looks about him as well. On top of that... He's got like this sweet gated pad. So we see that Lazarus sat outside his gate. And so this man, he, he didn't just have like a, a nice home. He had like the gated yard home in the community. This guy was very, very well off. He was very, very blessed. He would have been a society high roller, in other words. But then we see Lazarus. Lazarus is, is the opposite in all ways. Instead of being dressed in the fine linen and the purple and the best clothes, Lazarus has on rags. And instead of eating the gourmet foods, instead of having his belly stuffed, Lazarus is malnourished and starving, begging for food, wanting to just eat the crumbs that fell off of this guy's table. Lazarus, on the other hand, he, he doesn't have the good looks. Lazarus is beat up. It says that he was covered in sores. The sores that were so nasty, so, sores that were so 
festered that even the dogs would come and lick them. And the thing is, is that the text suggests that when the dogs would come and do that, Lazarus wouldn't like push them away because it would actually relieve some of the pain that he was feeling. And I, this is not like your, your cute dogs, like it's not your Malty Poos or whatever that, that's, that y'all like, that you think you're so cute or whatever, they're running up and Lazarus is like, oh, look at a cute little puppy. He's giving me a little puppy kiss or whatever. Like, these are mangy dogs. These are street dogs. These are the dogs you don't walk up to and pet because they might think your fingers are french fries. Like, you don't mess with these kind of nasty street dogs. These are the dogs that are coming up and licking Lazarus's sores. Lazarus doesn't have the sweet pad. He doesn't have a, a gated home to go to. He's homeless. He's laying on the streets and he's begging. Instead of being a society high roller, he would have been a society bottom dweller. But pay attention to this fact. Regardless of lifestyle, both men died. And then we find that Lazarus has been taken to heaven where he's with Abraham. Lazarus died and says that he was accompanied to Abraham's side. So Lazarus, in his life on this earth, passes. We find him along with Abraham and other believers in heaven while the rich man has found himself in Hades separated from God in what is described as a place of torment where he is in anguish. Man, how the tables have turned all of a sudden. These guys had two exact opposite situations in life. They have two exact opposite situations in eternity. But what God wants us to understand in this is that he did not bring Lazarus to heaven because he was poor. And he did not send this rich man to Hades because he was rich. Listen to me very, very carefully. Their destination was determined by their decision. Lazarus had decided to put his trust and belief upon God. This rich man had decided to trust in his things. His wealth, his possessions, his comforts, all the things that he had padded his life with became his security blanket. That's what he put his trust in. That's what he refused to leave behind. Lazarus, on the other hand, at some point in time, had given his life fully to the lordship of God and his belief upon him, and they are in two opposite places as a result of two very different decisions that they made during their present life. But listen to me, both had equal opportunity to believe. As we see this rich man in anguish and in torment, he cries out to Lazarus, or he cries out to Abraham, and he says, please, Father Abraham, send, send Lazarus to my house. Send him to my five brothers so they can be warned not to come to this place, so they can know about this place of torment, so they can know the anguish that I'm in. Please send Lazarus to my house so he can, he can let them know that this is not where you want to end up. And Abraham's response was, I'm not going to do that. They have Moses and they have the prophets. Now, what Abraham was saying is that during this time, they didn't have a completed copy of God's Word like we do now. The gospel message was, was still being written out, and what Christ was there to do had yet to take in place in, in the fulfillment of the cross. And so he says that you have, you've, got Abraham, you've got the law, you've got Moses. You know you're to honor God. You know you're to submit yourself to His Lordship. If they won't listen to them... They're not going to listen even if a dead man comes back. The same opportunity was available for this man and for Lazarus when they were alive. They had 
the law, they had the prophets, and it was enough for them to know fully who God was and who they were to believe in. So they both had equal opportunity to believe in what God had made known in Revelation to them. No doubt this man knew about God. Keep in mind that he himself is a Jew. He's one of God's chosen race. He's one of God's chosen people. There's no doubt that this man knew about God. I guarantee you he went to the temple on the regular. I guarantee you he participated in worship. I would bet, given how well off he was, he gave his money to the temple. People during those times, when if they had great wealth, they, we actually see Jesus do this one day. He sits in the temple across from the money box, and he watches as people walk in, and they dump their money in. I would bet this guy would have been one of those who walked in and dumped a, a, a huge amount of money into the money box as a sign of just fake obedience. I'm sure he even participated in sacrifice. But unlike Lazarus, he never chose to place faith in God. All of his actions for God were based off of appeasement, not affection. It was just the routine. It was just, I'm doing this because I know it's what I'm supposed to do. There was no true affection in his life for God. There was no true love for God in his life. It was just him trying to go through the motions and do the things that he thought would make God happy with who he was morally as a good person. And maybe, just maybe, that would be enough to get him in when it was all said and done with. Just an appeasement. Both of these men, they had a choice to make. And so listen, I said earlier, salvation is unlimited in its availability. And it is just that. John 3, 16 it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says that even God himself desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is unlimited in its availability. It's for whoever. God so loved the world. That's everybody. Not just a select few. Not just a chosen few. Not just for a, for a, a certain amount that, that he said, you're going to be it. And nobody else is going to have the opportunity. Nobody else is going to have the choice to make. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever, whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Salvation is available for all people. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. Rich, poor, Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Indian. It doesn't matter if you came from a Christian home or a non-Christian home. If you're an introvert, an extrovert, an Enneagram, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. Salvation is for the whoevers. And on top of that, it doesn't matter what you've done. Sexual immorality, pathological lying, Maybe you've even denied his existence at some point. Suicidal attempts, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, criminal records. It doesn't matter what you've done. Listen to me. Jesus saved a thief on a cross hanging right beside him. Jesus saved Peter, a fisherman who denied him. He saved a woman at a well who was a town hooker. He saved Zacchaeus who was a crooked tax collector. He saved Mary Magdalene who was possessed with seven different demons. He saved Paul who self-described himself as a blasphemer a persecutor, an opponent of God, and the chief of all sinners. Isaiah 50 verse 2 says, there is, there is no one beyond God's reach of redemption. Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? 
Or have I no power to deliver? There's no one beyond the reach of God's redemption. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I know the blood of Jesus is sufficient for any of it. His grace, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness, His salvation is for whoever, wherever, whenever. Listen, I'm going to talk to the, I'm going to talk to the believers for just a second. I'm going to hit y'all up with a little something. Salvation is for the whosoever's, not the who we'd rather's. There is no partiality with the gospel. We cannot look at fellow humanity all being created in the image of God and make a decision based on ethnical background, racial diversity, cultural upbringing, societal status, and decide whether or not they're deserving of the grace of God. It's for everybody. And I think sometimes as a church we need to be reminded of that, that heaven's going to be a very, very diverse place. Remember, our destination is determined by our decision. Salvation is available, but we must choose to receive what Christ has offered. And Paul tells us that that comes by faith. It's not something that we do to attain. It's not something that we do to work towards. There's not any amount of self-cleaning up that you do. You come to Jesus as you are, and he takes care of the filth. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The only reason any of us enter into the gates of heaven is because of the work of Christ, and that's it. And when you stand before God one day, if he were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom, and your response is anything but because you plead and have been washed by the blood of Jesus, you will hear, depart from me, I don't know you. And you might plead your case and say, well, I... God, I was a good person. Depart from me. But, but God, I, I, I gave my money. I gave, I gave my energy. I gave my resources. Depart from me. But God, hold, hold on now. Like I, I went to worship. I was in church on Sundays. I, I was in church on Wednesdays. I was a part of a small group. I did all those things. Depart from me. But wait, God, now hold on. Like I served. I served other people. I let go of my own selfish ambitions. I let go of my own selfish desires. And I elevated those of others at times. Depart from me. But God, I read my Bible. I got Bible verses memorized. I got all the things. Like I read the Gospels. I even read that, that, all the crazy stuff in the Old Testament. Like I made it through Leviticus and Ezekiel and, and Lamentations and all those things. Like Depart from me. But, but God, not like, but my family loved you. I grew up in a, I grew up in a godly home. I grew up in a home that, that, that honored, honored God, that, that prioritized Christ. Depart from me. Listen very closely, men and women. Devoid of faith, none of those things matter. If you have not 
place your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, none of those things matter. Have you called on the name of Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you asked him to wash the filth of your life with the righteousness of his blood and make you new? And once you do that, then yeah, you know what? Worship matters. Service matters. Missions matters. Studying the word matters. Giving your time, giving your money, giving your resources, that matters. All those things through Christ become acceptable sacrifices. But apart from Christ, it's just filthy rags. Have you called upon the name of Jesus? It's there for you. Listen, I'm so serious. Like It does not matter who you think yourself to be. And I don't care about the places that you've been. You might sit here and you think, well, you have no idea. You, really, you keep saying that, but you have no idea the places that I You have no idea the things that I have done. You have no idea the things that I have said. You have no idea the things that I have thought. You have no idea the people that I have been around and the things that I have entertained, the wickedness, the disparity, just the darkness that is through. You have no idea. Maybe I don't. But there is no darkness so dark that light cannot pierce it. Man, you stand in a prime position tonight to experience the redeeming love of Jesus. It's there for you. You don't have to do anything other than accept it. He's taking care of it. He took care of it on the cross. He absorbed all that, all that stuff you did, all those places you've been, the things that you've done. The experiences that you've had, all those things that would have invited the wrath of God upon your life, Jesus said, I'll take it. And he went to the cross with it, and he bore it. It's gone. You don't have to worry about God's wrath and judgment. You just have to receive Christ's righteousness. Now, if you do not, then yeah, wrath and judgment becomes very real. You'll find yourself like this rich man in a place of torment and anguish. Just because you had the choice of salvation right in front of you and you chose to resist and reject it. Give your life to Jesus tonight. He's worth it. Let's talk about this next truth. So if salvation is unlimited in its availability, then you need to know that it is limited in its opportunity. Jesus wants to give life. He wants to grant forgiveness. He wants to bring grace. He wants to bring mercy flooding into your life. And he will give you, out of his grace, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But those opportunities only extend so far. They do hold an expiration date. Like these two men, you will either die or Christ will return. And at either point, if you have not received him, listen, it will be too late. This is the reality that the rich man came face to face with. The reality that perhaps he had been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, but he chose to resist and he chose to reject, and eventually the opportunity ran out, and it is now too late. He finds himself in a place 
of torment. He finds himself in a place of anguish. And even though he is crying out, trying to find help in some way, form, or fashion to alleviate the pain and the suffering that he is experiencing, nothing can change the outcome that he has found himself in. It is cemented. He realized where he was. He saw where Lazarus was. He saw Abraham, and that only further confirmed that nothing can be changed. Even as he cried out, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus to like dip his finger in some water and just let me get one drop on my tongue because I'm in anguish in these flames? Abraham says, I'm sorry, bud. It can't happen. You had your opportunities, you had your chances, you had everything right in front of you to experience what Lazarus is experiencing now, and you chose not to believe, you chose to reject, you chose to resist, and even if I wanted to, even if there could be some form of hell, there's a chasm. You know what that is? It's a split, it's a gap, it's, it's unbridgeable. It cannot be crossed. That way you can't get to us and we can't get to you. And it just further confirmed to this guy that there's nothing now that can be done about his eternal destination. It's forever sealed. The opportunity, the opportunity for salvation was gone. I want you to listen to these next verses very carefully. In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 1, God's Word says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Everybody say, today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And in verse 7 he says, Today, everybody say today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's why today is the day. Eternity should not be gambled with. I'm positive this rich man heard the call of God on his life. He had blessings all around him, blessings that he would have known had to have come from God. He had a Jewish heritage. He was a part of God's chosen people, a part of God's chosen race. That means he would have been taught about all the things of God about all the ways in which he had provided for his people in the past and the way that he was still providing for them in the present. On top of all that, he had the testimony of Lazarus. You know, I think, I think Lazarus testified of the goodness of God to this man as he laid at his gates because who did he ask to go to his brothers? He said, send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to tell them. Why? Because he used to tell me. He used to plead with me at his gate. He used to beg for food, but he used to also beg on me to get my heart right with our God. And I didn't listen, so send him, send him back to my brothers. I'm sure this guy, man, and he had to have heard the call of God on his life, but he probably made excuse after excuse after excuse. God, I will, uh, just a little bit later. Not right now. Let me live a little more. Let me just experience a few more things first. 
There are some other things that I want to try. There's some other things I want to dip my foot in. There's some other things I want to taste. Let me go and do those things, and I'll come back. I'm coming, God, I promise. Just, just let me go do some other things first. Just, just not right now. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Until there was no later. The opportunity was gone. How many, how many of you each week you sit in here and you hear the call of God unto salvation and week after week you resist. Week after week you reject making some kind of an excuse just like this man used to do. I'll do it later. I hear you, God. I know what needs to happen. I know the steps I need to take. I'll do it. I'm just going to do it a little bit later. Let me, let me, let me try some things. Let me experience some things first. Let me, let me clean myself up a little. I'm, I'm filthy. I'm dirty. I'm nasty. Let me, let me just get some things straightened out first. And I'll do it. I'll come back. And it, it's so dangerous. Because you don't know when the opportunity will be extended for the last time. Let me tell you the scary thing about rejection is that every time you do it, your heart hardens a little bit more. And you know what that does? That makes it that makes it easier to resist the next time. You make one excuse, it's so much easier to find a second. And let me tell y'all who's at the bottom of all this. It's that wicked devil despises your soul. If Christ is the lover of your soul, he's the despiser of your soul. He's going to be in torment forever one day. He just wants the company. He will drag you there with him if he can. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus actually... There's only, there's only three times in all of Scripture where Jesus weeps. You know that? We only see him cry three times. One is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The second one is when Lazarus, a different Lazarus account, Lazarus dies, one of his friends. And the other one's when he's sitting outside of Jerusalem, his hometown. Listen to what he says. He says, when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. Can you imagine Jesus weeping? Well, why is he weeping? Well, listen to what he says, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus said, I'm weeping over Jerusalem because salvation came right through there and you didn't see it. You missed your opportunity. You missed your chance, and now you're never going to see it. Now it's gone. Please listen to me. Hell is very, very real. And it's not going to be a party. Contrary to popular belief, it's not going to be a good time. It's not going to be a celebration. Did you hear what this man said? As he's crying out to Abraham, he, he doesn't say, man, this is awesome. Look at this place. What a party. This is the best time I've ever had in my life. I can't wait for my brothers to get here. He didn't say that. He says, I'm in torment. I'm in anguish. Please, for the love, can somebody go to my house and tell my brothers you don't want to come here? Hell is not going to be a New Year's Eve party. You're not going to live it up. It's a place of torment. It's a place of anguish. It's a place of loneliness. It's a place of isolation. It's a place of separation. But the reality is, is you don't have to know that. You can give your life to Jesus. You can be forgiven. Listen, God doesn't send 
God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. Because we choose not to believe upon His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't push your opportunity down the road until it eventually falls off the end. C.S. Lewis said this, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I'm here to tell you tonight that some of you may very well still be on the path to hell, but Jesus has brought you to this point so you can see a signpost. So you can see his grace, you can see his love, you can hear his call saying, turn around. This is not the path. This is not the way. This is not what I desire for you. Come here. Come to me. Let, let me take you to my father's house like Abraham brought Lazarus in. Don't miss your opportunity, ladies and gentlemen.